Good afternoon, everyone. Very glad to be back. My wife and I had a hard night. Uh, she wasn't giving birth. It was our daughter-in-law giving birth. <laughs> but we went to bed a little early. I went to bed just before 10. I think she went to bed about 9 or 9.30. And about 12.30, uh, we received this telephone call, and I was in the dead of sleep. And uh, she said, X is really having a hard time. It was my son David's wife, and it was his, his baby and his wife's baby, and she was having a very hard time and a great deal of pain. And so I got up and prayed, went back in the dressing room and prayed for 10 or 15 minutes, and I tried to put my heart. I remember being at a birthing center one time, and my wife had always a very good time for producing our children. And <laughs> but said so this one woman was really having a hard time and really shook me because of the uh, yelling and so on. And I just felt for Exie, and I started praying very hard. And I couldn't get back to sleep for a long time. And uh, then it seemed like I just barely got asleep, and then I had to wake up. And uh, so anyway, I've been thrown off a little bit. Uh, being a father is really a difficult thing, and God does not allow you to do that when you're up in your 70s or 80s. Being a grandfather is not quite as hard, but I guess there are times. But anyway, uh, it, this is kind of interesting. My 10th grandchild was born on a special day that Mr. Crockett's aware of. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, interesting. This is our, I have now six children. 10 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren and I met all three grandchildren at the feast and that was nice and my wife and I hope to have them come here sometime and spend some time with us but anyway it is a blessing overall but it kind of threw us off last night both of us so I apologize for being late and we followed Wild Wilma. I called this uh, woman on the, the guidance system Wild Wilma. And she gets very confused. She led us around in circles down in uh, Panama City. And my wife was following her directions. I don't drive since my stroke, but my wife normally drives well. But she was going around and around. And finally we realized that Wilma had gone insane. And uh, so we just came back and ate somewhere else on the, and back to our hotel. And uh, Wilma led us on the slowest route we could possibly find a church and we were already tired and running late anyway so i apologize i'll try not to let that happen again i don't plan to have too many more uh, grandchildren but as they say the best late plans of mine, mice and men that doesn't always work out that way but we'll see how that works out Anyway, as Mr. Pyle said, uh, we did have a wonderful feast and very grateful for God blessing the feast all around the world. And we've heard reports from, you know, Australia and New Zealand and uh, Canada and written reports from just all over. And the feast does seem to have produced a great deal of warmth and love among God's people. And we're very grateful for that and thank God for it. It was, as many people said, the best feast for many of them. And I think... They really meant it this time. I've had, I told the brethren in Panama City, one song leader said, wasn't this the best feast? And of course, everyone had to respond. I said, well, I've had four or five best feasts because I've been keeping them for 63 years or whatever it is. And uh, so you can't say they're all, Mr. Armstrong used to say the campuses, the three campuses of Ambassador College mutually excelled. 
I like that expression. He had a way with words. They mutually excelled each other. So the very first feast I attended up in Belknap Springs in Oregon, the first original feast site, I got to be there three times. And that was very special. Obviously, I'd never kept the feast before. And Mr. Armstrong preached every sermon, 17 sermons in a row. And, uh, you know, the opening night plus eight days. We used to have morning and afternoon service every day. And he was a ball of fire, but he was reading out of uh, the two Babylons and Gibbons Rome and these various books and expounding, you know, the long prophecies and just covering. We got a whole history of the Bible during the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was very inspiring because most of us didn't know that yet. And we had no correspondence course yet in the work. We only had three or four booklets, so it was very, very wonderful way to start learning the truth in that way. But God did bless the feast, and we're grateful for it. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for Mr. Pyle's fine sermonette and that God has kept him going, and we need to keep praying. And uh, one reason, I didn't plan to say this this early on in the sermon, but one reason I'm preaching this, I told the our, our executive lunch we have nearly every Tuesday or Wednesday in my office, a kind of a mini council of elders, that we really need to cry out if it's not God's time, and brethren, it may not be God's time to give us the gifts of the Spirit yet, that is to heal people all over the world. But I feel if we really draw close to God, He would begin to heal His own people right here in the church. And we're not getting as many of those as we would like. We are getting some, and we're very grateful for that. But having read Mr. Wakefield's very fine article on uh, the the preparation day, my wife and I were discussing that and other things that made me realize that as Mr. Pyle read, and I'm going to be reading it again in Isaiah 59, God does not always hear our prayers unless we really are close to Him. And brethren, we do need to be closer to God in many ways, not just this way, but we need to be closer to God in the way we keep God's holy Sabbath. And we're here on God's Sabbath day, and it is a holy day. And thank you for coming. Some of our brethren may still be coming back, or they may be disoriented by the time, the change of the hall. It looks like one or two new people are here. Now, next Sabbath, we go back to our regular meeting place, right, in uh, the uh, Masonic Hall over here. And maybe that could be announced again at the end of where it is and so on. So we go back to that hall, I think, two Sabbaths in a row before we change again. So we've got to be sure we know where we are. It's always good to know where you are. If you find, if you follow Wild Wilma on the guidance system, you don't always know where you are. And we We'd better be sure we know where we are so we know where to come to church. But anyway, I'm glad we have a reasonably sized crowd here, although many of our brethren are still not back or are disoriented for whatever reason. Anyway, most of you know that the Feast of Tabernacles, which we just observed, and we did have a wonderful feast that is a type of the weekly Sabbath, and the weekly Sabbath is a type of the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Tabernacles and the weekly Sabbath are both types of the coming 7,000-year or the 7,000-year reign of Jesus Christ, Christ's reign on earth during the 7th 
thousand year period of human history and he is coming for a millennium mill of course means thousands most of you newer people but we have a number of gray heads here do you remember the mills we used to have any of you mills were little tiny plastic things they were one tenth of a penny and one thousandth of a dollar I guess and we used to have mills back during the depression that's how poor we were and so you'd have ten mills equal one tenth of a penny and whatever so a mill anyway means a thousand and Christ is coming back for one thousand years and will be the seventh thousand year reign the seventh thousand year period of human history and uh, so that's what the Feast of Tabernacles portrays in a sense and the weekly Sabbath does too and we need to think about the meaning of this day that we're observing right now we just got through observing the feast so let's really learn the lesson of this day brethren turn with me of Hebrews if you would to the book of Hebrews I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 I've never heard a Protestant minister read this part of the Bible. I'm sure most of them don't like it very well or else they really don't understand it anyway. But he says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, there, Therefore, since a promise of remaining, of entering his rest, and here the uh, word just simply means physical rest, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, that is ancient Israel, he'd been talking about in the previous chapter, did not profit them. Of course, they lacked faith. It was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. We have God's spirit, brethren, and they did not. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And, of course, God is talking here about the coming millennial rest. Yet, the Sabbath is a type of that. And if you read this chapter carefully, you'll see it's a play on words. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now he gets back to the weekly Sabbath. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. Not just one day in seven or pick any day you wish. The Muslims observe, of course, Friday. And the so-called Christians observe Sunday, the day of the sun. And God says the seventh day in this way. And now he quotes from Genesis 2, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. So because, as we know, brethren, I don't have time to read this, but Mr. Armstrong, all of you older brethren, remember, he explained again and again and again, as Franklin used to, Roosevelt used to say it that way, that the... 20th chapter of Ezekiel and other scriptures point out that God punished ancient Israel. He punished our ancestors for two major reasons, idolatry and Sabbath breaking, idolatry and Sabbath breaking. You read the whole 20th chapter of Ezekiel and quite a number of other scriptures show that he punished our ancestors for those two reasons. And those are two of the main reasons he's going to punish America and the British descended peoples today. They're worshiping idols. They make an idol out of money, an idol out of physical things, all kinds of idols, plus literal idols and false pictures of Christ. And then the Catholic and other churches, literal idols they worship and so on. Wrong gods. They make a god out of physical things and other gods out of their imagination. Idolatry and Sabbath breaking. And so he's talking about this. They shall not enter my rest. 
because they break God's Sabbath. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, and remember the word Joshua is the same work in the Hebrew that Jesus, Joshua or Joshua, the same word. Joshua meant Savior. Jesus means Savior. If Joshua, the ancient Joshua, the type of Christ, had given them rest, then he would not afterward, that is God, have spoken of another day. In other words, they weren't able to enter the promised land, which was a type of the millennium, because they were disobeying God. They weren't keeping his Sabbath, and the Sabbath is one of the main commandments God's concerned with. If you cut yourself off from worshiping the Creator on his day, then everything else starts to fall by the wayside. Most of you older brethren understand that. Any other church on earth that does not keep God's Sabbath, they don't understand God's plan, and they don't keep God's holy days either, and so they're cut off from the true God. They don't know God. They know their God, but they're cut off from the Creator God, the real God, because they don't keep His holy day that points to the true God, the Creator. He rested from His creation on the seventh day. For if Joshua had given them rest, if he'd brought them into the promised land, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest, and here, instead of catapausin, meaning, um, I mean, the normal word, and I don't have that written down. I normally remember that. It blanks out of my mind, and I'll apologize. But the word here, no, it is catapausin, is the normal word for rest, just physical rest. Then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath, and here the Greek word is sabbatismos, sabbatismos, and it means, of course, the keeping of a Sabbath, the keeping of a Sabbath for the people of God. Now, what is this Sabbath? Just any Sabbath they come up with? He goes on to explain, for he who entered his rest, a true Christian, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from him, from his. I mean, some Protestants try to interpret this, well, you've got to cease from your works of sin. Well, God doesn't sin. He didn't have to rest from his works of sin. He rested from his works of creation. He rested when? God did. Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2. He rested on the seventh day and made it holy time. As God did from his, that's what Christians are to do. So if you're going to enter the coming rest, the millennium, the kingdom of God, which the millennium is a type of, you'd better do that rest. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. We'd better be diligent to keep God's Sabbath day so we can, in fact, be in the ultimate rest, which is the kingdom of God. Lest anyone fall after the same example of what? Lack of faith in sweet Jesus? Well, we want to have faith in Jesus. I don't want to make fun of that. But the word here says disobedience. We've been disobeying God by not keeping his Sabbath day. And we must take that very seriously. That's why my ancestors and the ancestors of all of you 
who are Anglo-Saxon Protestant descendants and all the rest of you, whether black or Latino or whatever you may be, and I'm partly mixed myself, as I've said, partly Indian and partly German and so on. But we're all Israelites spiritually. And God says every true Christian becomes a spiritual Israelite. And so all of us are involved in this when we understand the spiritual implications of it. We're all to be spiritual Israel. We're all to be spiritually circumcised. And we're all to keep God's holy Sabbath pointing to him as the creator. So we want to understand that there remains the keeping of a Sabbath. And a sabbatismos, it means not just physical rest, but the keeping of a Sabbath. And we're to rest from our works as God did from his. Turn now back to Genesis 2. I've been paraphrasing it, but let's read it. How did God do it? When did he do it? Genesis chapter 2, thus says the heavens, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. God describes the creation here. And on thee, not any, the definite article is not always used in the Hebrew or in the Greek language, but it is used here. On the seventh day, not just any day in seven, God ended, or as the interlinears and commentaries bring out, the word can be translated, completed his work. How did he complete his work? He completed his physical work, or the work he was doing, in this case, by resting from the creative work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed, not just any day, the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. And brethren, this is a very special day. This points to the creator God. This points to the coming millennium, which points to the whole eternal life, of course. It all has to do with the Creator God. So it says, God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because in it he had rested from all his work, which God had created and made. God did not rest from sin. He rested physically from work, and he was not creating anything more, and that is what we ought to rest as God did from his. Now let's turn to the New Testament briefly here, brethren, and turn with me, if you would, at this point to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 in your New Testament, and most of you are very familiar with this, but we do need to think about it in a special way here in connection with this sermon. This is a very vital topic, and I think it's something we need to review at least once or twice a year, and we may not have done that for a long time. Back in Genesis, I mean Mark chapter 2, and verse 23, now it happened that he went through the grain fields. Here is Jesus Christ, the Creator, now in the human flesh, going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Who made the Sabbath? God made the Sabbath. Who was the God who made the Sabbath? You know that. Back in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He, all things were created by Christ, the Word, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Christ created the Sabbath day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath because He made it. And so here He is in the human flesh. And frankly, brethren, we need to be very careful how we keep the Sabbath. And some of us have let down in how we keep it. On the other hand, we don't want to become Pharisees. The main emphasis Christ gave in the New Testament was worshiping God and not just the Pharisaical do's and don'ts. When you read about the Sabbath, he was mainly showing how the Pharisees had added do's and don'ts to it. 
So we don't want to emphasize the negative in a wrong way. So he was going through the grain fields, and that was bad, according to the Pharisees, you see. So they condemned him and his disciples and said, your disciples are doing what's not lawful. He reminded them how David even broke a technical statute because David was a prophet as well as a king because his people were hungry and they gave them food, which normally under the ancient law here of the uh, uh, priesthood was not legal for others to eat who were not priests or the priest families. And he said to them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for who? Who was the Sabbath made for? The, the Jew? No, it doesn't say that. The Sabbath was made for man. We just got through reading about it in Genesis chapter 2. Where were the Jews? No Jews then. They didn't yet exist. You come down from, you know, ancient Adam and down through Seth and down through uh, every, all the rest of them, clear down to uh, uh, Abraham and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and one of Jacob's twelve sons was named Judah, and that's where the Jews come from. There weren't any Jews when God made the Sabbath. They weren't around for hundreds of years. So you have to understand that. So the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the day He's Lord of. He's not the Lord of Sunday. He's the Lord of the seventh day, which we're keeping now, which is a type of the millennium, which, of course, is a type of the very kingdom of God. And, the, the, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles looks forward to both of those things. It looks forward to the millennium and to the kingdom of God. So we want to understand that the weekly and the annual Sabbath tie together in that way. So God is the one who made the Sabbath, that the person in God who made the Sabbath was Christ. The Logos, the spokesman, he's the one who said, let there be light. He's the one who made the Sabbath. He's the one who gave all ten of the Ten Commandments, acting for God the Father. And most of you know all the scriptures about that. I'll just give you one to look up. First Corinthians 10.4. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, talks about the rock of Israel, who is identified through the Old Testament as the God of Israel. That rock was Christ. He's the one who did all these things. So, brethren, since it is a Sabbath was made for man, for man's good, and God is love, he wants us to have an abundant life, we ought to rejoice in God's Sabbath. And that's my topic today, if you want a title, Rejoice in God's Sabbath. But we should keep it in the right way as well. We ought to have the fear of God and yet in the right way rejoice in this day by really understanding its meaning and putting a positive spin upon it in the way we think and the way we act and the way we do and the things we even talk about on the Sabbath. We should rejoice in God's Sabbath. Turn back to Exodus now when it was first re-given and codified, in a sense, as part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And remember, they were God speaking to them from the top of Mount Sinai. Here it describes the fire and the earthquake and how they were frightened by the great God shaking everything around them. And then this voice comes out of the fog and the fire and verse 20 chapter 20 verse 1 God spoke all these words I am the eternal your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage you shall have no other gods before me no other gods yet brethren we have dozens of other gods before Christ you know that 
You read about all the time in these papers, and I know I used to read the Parade magazine growing up, and or later at least, and it always had interesting articles about the leaders in the world, President Eisenhower or Prime Minister Churchill, the great men and women who produced something. Today, you'll find most of the articles about unknown TV actors or rock singers or people nobody's heard of, at least virtually none of us our age pay any attention to them. They don't produce anything except noise and confusion and disorientation in the lives of people. It's terrible. They, they're always having these articles, and then they, in the little article, they'll tell about how Miss So-and-so uh, and her boyfriend woke up together and they, they, went, they made breakfast and it wasn't that nice, implying, well, they're just living together. They don't make any apology. They just talk about that in the Parade magazine and all these other places about people committing fornication, and that's just fine. The whole world is filled with that stuff, yet they make a god out of all these crazy people that don't produce anything, that don't deserve any kind of honor, and would be run out of town if they had done that kind of stuff when I was growing up, and most of you older people were growing up, it would not have been permitted. But we are confused. Have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness. You're not to have any idol physically. Then he goes on, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I don't like to see movies very often anymore because even if you try to find a really nice movie, every now and then they'll come out with some cussing. I don't immediately leave the theater. If they keep on, I do. But I, I heard more cussing and God's name taken in vain every half hour uh, of the entire day when I worked at the Zyder Concrete Pipe Plant than I see in a two-hour movie. <laughs> you know, these men, that's all they know is to talk that way. So it's not shocking. It's still not a good thing, though. They constantly in our society take God's name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the one command people always want to forget. If the world came out and said, you shall observe Sunday, then the world, with our human nature, says, oh, no, we're not going to do that. The one day God says to remember, that's the day they want to forget. Six days you shall labor. That's part of the command. We are to be productive and do all your work, but the Sabbath day, not just any day, the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and it you shall do no work, you, your son, your daughter, your maidservant, anyone, nor your stranger who's within your gates. Now, some brethren, very sincerely, have tried to use this to say, well, you can't ever eat out on the Sabbath because you're making uh, the stranger within your gates work. Well, back then... They were in charge of the whole society. These strangers are not within our gates. They're not in our house. They're not in our property. We do not control them. And these people at these restaurants around would be doing their work whether we had ever been born or not. Most of you have figured that out. It's not wrong to eat out on the Sabbath occasionally if it, you're doing it to serve others or your wife is in a genuine mind or whatever. But many of us have done it too much, including me. Mr. Armstrong stayed out on the Sabbath, I think, more than was ideal. I've heard him berate himself in front of the church. I know after Dick Armstrong's death, 
he got really heavily concerned and gave a whole sermon like this I'm giving, but Mr. Armstrong would always give it even stronger. He wasn't afraid to hurt anyone's feelings in those days. They didn't have four or five other churches waiting to go to, you know what I mean, and uh, right down the road. So he would just tell them the way it was. And you, know, you brethren need to realize, he said. And then he said, well, I've done this too. We all go out to eat when we don't need to and so on. And he brought out after Dick's death, it hit him, what's wrong? And I wanted you to think about that too. This is not the only sin we have. We all have many sins. And for many of you, it's not your major sin, but maybe some of us have let down more than we should have. And we want to think about it and back off from it. Let's not eat out in a restaurant unless there's a very good reason and not do it regularly and be sure that when we can, we can eat at home and we can try to rest and study and pray and worship, worship the Creator on His holy day. So this is the emphasis we ought to have. The main Christ emphasis Christ had was not judging one another about all of that, though. When you read it, He was more interested in catching the Pharisees where they were trying to catch everybody and breaking all the laws they'd added to the Sabbath day. But keep it holy. It's holy time. So you're to not cause anyone in your household to work or a stranger that is in your household that you control. You pay their wages. You're in charge of them. I'm not in charge of these people in these other restaurants. As I say, if you use that kind of reasoning, then all our brethren in London or the vast majority couldn't go to church. Because most people in Britain don't have their own car. And they have to take, especially in the big cities, public transport. Oh, you got to spend money. You have to take the bus or you have to take the train. The same thing in New York City. The vast majority use public transport. You've got to do that if you follow me. There are all kinds of things, our mail delivery and other things that go on that we have no direct control over. But you need to use the principle to, to eat out and to buy things at the very minimum And be sure that you're trying to use the day. Emphasize the positive. Eliminate the negative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. We used to say back in the Second World War. And try to worship God on his day. To rest, to study, to pray, to meditate, and worship. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day, not just any day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let's turn now to chapter 31, Exodus 31. Here, a little later, God spoke to Moses in verse 12. Speak to the children of Israel, Exodus 31, verse 12. Surely my Sabbaths, Not the Jewish Sabbaths, God's Sabbaths. And you notice he says plural, and I really feel, and some very few commentaries have pointed this out, this includes no doubt the week, the the annual Sabbaths as well as the weekly Sabbath. My Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign. As you know, back in Exodus 13, he talks about the days of unleavened bread. Read it back in Exodus chapter 13. They are a sign. His annual holy days are part of God's sign as well as the weekly Sabbath. It is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the eternal who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. You are to work six days and rest the seventh day. 
Therefore, verse 16, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant, never to end. We are God's people Israel today. The church is Israel. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel together for uh, forever, I mean. For in six days the Lord made heavens and earth and the seventh day, and he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking, God gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony. Who was this? Christ was the one. Other scriptures like 1 John 4 verse 12 say, Man has never seen God at any time. But Moses saw Christ and talked to him face to face. And Moses and Aaron and 70 of the elders of Israel, you read that in Exodus chapter 24, after the Ten Commandments were given, they went up and they saw the God of Israel, it says there in the 24th chapter of Exodus. Who was that God? It was not God the Father. It was the one who became Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you have a contradiction in the Bible. But the Bible make itself makes it plain. You know, Christ was the God of the Old Testament. That's who he was. So he gave God in the person of Christ, gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony written with the finger of God. And what was to be done? These two tablets containing the Ten Commandments would be put right in the ark of God and kept forever. Forever. And in Revelation, you find they saw the ark up there in heaven. It doesn't say part of it was taken away. The Sabbath was on those two tablets. And it's part of this thing that was to be kept forever before God. The Sabbath was never, ever done away. And I will give anyone a thousand dollars of my own money if they can ever show any scripture that clearly says the Sabbath was to be done away. The seventh day Sabbath. Go look for it. You get a quick thousand dollars. I'll be glad to give it to you. Be worth it. If we're wrong on a basic thing like that. It doesn't say that. Most of you know that. I'd offered a thousand dollars for anyone who could ever say that the reward of the saved is going to heaven. That that is our eternal reward. We may go up there briefly for the uh, wedding supper or individual trips at other times, but not as our reward. Those things aren't in the Bible. Yet these Protestants just go along as though those are settled fact. They're not fact at all. They're just gross distortions of the Bible. They are blinded. God has not called them, and they don't even keep the sign of the true God. They don't know that sign. That's the very reason they're going to be driven into slavery along with the rest of Israel in a very few years because they don't keep God's holy Sabbath day. Let's be sure we do. Brethren, think about it. Let's be sure we do. I would encourage all of you to read Mr. Wakefield's very fine article on the preparation day. <clears throat> and it's a very vital part of keeping the Sabbath. And I'll cover a little bit of that. But he spent the whole article on that, which he did very, very well. And certainly we ought to think about the Sabbath in a very, very special way. Now turn back to Exodus chapter 16. And here we find a little bit about that special time. Exodus chapter 16. And uh, as you read here in, uh, in verse 23, if I'm getting my notes right here. Exodus 16:33, 23. God said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath of rest. This is even before they got to Mount Sinai, before the Ten Commandments were codified. They were already in existence. We know that. God gave them to Adam and Eve. 
And back in Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, if any of you are new, write that verse down. Genesis chapter 26, verse 5 says that Abraham was blessed. Why? Because he kept God's commandments, his statutes, his judgments, and his laws. Commandments, plural. The Sabbath was one of those commandments, obviously, Abraham kept that had been made holy from creation. So the father of the faithful, Abraham, kept the Sabbath day. But now he's re-revealing it to Israel because they had lost it during their Egyptian slavery. And so he says, tomorrow is the Sabbath of rest, a holy Sabbath to who? The Jew? No, to the ever-living one, to God. Bake what you will bake today. In other words, that is the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. And boil what you will boil. Do all your heavy baking and cooking ahead of time, ladies. Think about that. And you men, if you can, help your wives. And both of you start getting on it, not just Friday evening, but as Mr. Wakefield brought out, and we've taught, frankly, for decades. He didn't invent that. I know he knows that. Start Thursday night because God's days begin and end at sunset. So the sixth day begins Thursday night at sunset, and the seventh day begins Friday evening at sunset. So the sixth day, starting Thursday evening at sunset, is the preparation day. But you could start even Thursday night. Uh, my wife and got inspired, not just me, but she got inspired by Mr. Wakefield's article. She fixed a Jewish stew, a uh, special thing, with chalice bread and uh, Jewish-type bread for the Sabbath. And that's what we had last night. Sorry, we didn't have the Wakefields there to eat it with us. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so she was inspired, and we hadn't done that for a long time and had a candle there. We used to do that when we were first married and when the boys were growing up, but somehow time goes on and you let some of the things lapse. And we didn't start breaking the Sabbath, but we weren't keeping it quite as special as we did from time to time early on. And we need to think about that. So do that work on Thursday night and Friday. So lay up for yourselves what remains to be kept until the morning. That is of these omers, these uh, 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 stuff that they were getting here. And they kept it up until morning as Moses commanded. It did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. So God told them to keep the manna an extra day at this point. Uh, and it would not breed worms and sting. Then Moses said, Eat today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. They went out to get some anyway. They didn't believe God, just like they don't today. And God said in verse 28, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Plural. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, not just any day. Therefore, he gives you the sixth uh, on the sixth day, bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. You know, uh, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So they weren't to go out and try to get manna on the seventh day because God miraculously gave them twice as much on the sixth day. And, of course, the fact he gave them manna any day was a miracle. But then he intervened in his normal cycle of time to show them which day was the seventh day to mark that off so these carnal Israelites would understand it. So the sixth day is a day you can start preparing so you can rest better on the Sabbath. Brethren, back in the earlier days of Ambassador College, 
most of you don't know this, and I thought it might be helpful to explain it. We did keep the Sabbath a lot more because this truth was new and exciting, and different brethren would have each other over just continually on Friday night so that, you know, you wouldn't have to think or even even think about eating out in a restaurant. People didn't eat out in a restaurant near as much back in the 50s anyway, and often on Saturday night as well, uh, uh, people would have each other over and, and have a, a fellowship, Christian fellowship together and that type of thing. And I've told you how in the very earliest years, in Mayfair, which was the dormitory, Betty Bates lived on the first floor. She was the only girl with the house mother. She was very well protected. She lived right with Annie Mann, who would, she had her own cane, and she'd have really bopped us on the noggin if we came around to bother the girls. I was kidding, we didn't, but she was living right with the house mother. She was a spunky old gal. And, uh, but then the, uh, Boys all lived on the third floor, and we had a separate stair, so we didn't even see the girls. They had their door closed or locked off, and we'd go up a separate way to the third floor, and we'd bypass then the old ladies who lived on the second floor, and they were all in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And as they died off, we would take over gradually more and more of Mayfair. Mr. Armstrong needed them at first to help pay the rent on Mayfair as they bought this. But we would have a, a kind of a, a Sabbath bowl session up on the third floor and the one big room where Ken Herman and someone else lived. And we'd have cheese and crackers and wine and just talk about world affairs, prophecy, and the Bible. But really, it was 90, 95% that, and it was a very wonderful occasion. We were thinking about that as the college got bigger, and I'm skipping now several years up until the 1960s, why you would have, let's say, 600 very good-looking young people, and I helped pick them out, <clears throat> and uh, over in Torrance, some of you older brethren know, over in Big Sandy, Dr. Torrance helped pick them out. They said he would always try to pick out the prettiest girls <laughs> to, as, as students. This wasn't, I don't want to make all of you think we were evil, but uh, we, if, if some girl was really smart, she got there too. But if there was a, any question you know, about the same, uh, we, we had a bunch of nice-looking girls, anyway, we'll put it that way. And uh, But very handsome young men, and you see these handsome young men, and young women, and uh, sometimes I tell my wife about all these pretty girls, and she said, well, they're not all pretty. And I said, yes, they are, honey. Every girl is pretty, usually between 16 and 26. If she's not pretty then, she'd better worry. You know, God has made them so they're basically pretty during that time so they can get married. But uh, that's what God has done. But at any rate... They're not Hollywood pretty, but usually we had a very wonderful group of young people, and they would all be dressed just like I am and you are. They'd be in their Sabbath wear, and they would come down to the student uh, uh, center, and they would have singing, piano singing, singing the hymns before dinner, and then after dinner, or the earlier even in Mayfair, and they would be hymn singing, and then they would... Uh, uh, you know, have dinner together, a Sabbath meal, often with candles. And then later, some of them would go to the Bible study on Friday night. Others would go and have their own personal study. And some would take quiet walks after dinner or after the Bible study around the neighborhood and uh, in a very, frankly, nice way. And it was a very wonderful occasion. There was a great deal of love and warmth. 
an uplifting atmosphere. These young people learned to dress up on God's holy Sabbath day, and the the girls wore their pretty dress, and the fellows dressed up, and they'd take their arm, and you get a very inspiring sight, even though I was just in my 30s and 40s, to see these handsome young couples walking around honoring God on His holy Sabbath day. We tried to teach them that way of life. And it was much easier to keep the Sabbath in that atmosphere, as you can imagine. That was the easiest commandment. Once Christ comes and Satan is banished, what is going to be the easiest commandment to keep? Well, the Sabbath. Everybody's going to be keeping it. You know, think about it. You can't kill or hate or lust or commit adultery or steal or take God's name in vain 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But only one day a week, you have this terrible... Uh, terrible hard law put on you as the world tries to make it out to be you have to rest <laughs> isn't that terrible you're supposed to rest and study and meditate on the things of God and worship your creator one day a week and it is a blessing and all of us should learn to think about it in that way so we have that atmosphere of being dressed up a special atmosphere Sabbath songs Candles on the table, and it was a very wonderful time overall. Not perfect, but Mr. and Mrs. Armstrong were kind of the father figure and mother figure, and there was a sense of unity and a sense of joy and love at that time. I wish we could reproduce that. And I know that Dr. O'Neill and Dr. Germano and all of us would like to, if God gives us the money, we'll build some great big buildings and have all that. But until that time, we have to spend most of the money doing the work And we may not have time to reproduce all of that, but we ought to think about that, try to create that kind of atmosphere, you know, in our own home to the degree we can, brethren, and to the degree you can try to create that atmosphere where you men and women work together. And I say men because in my generation, the women did the cooking and my father didn't do much and I don't cook much at all. And when I do, everyone looks pretty sad because <laughs> I'm not a very good cook. <laughs> but uh, uh, all my sons cook better than I do, but just one of those things. But our wives have done most of the cooking in those generations, but a husband now for the woman is working, which they didn't do back then, why uh, can help out. And have special food prepared ahead of time and candles and a special clean atmosphere. And if you have a piano, invite others over and sing some hymns together and have that kind of honorable worshiping your creator on his holy day. So I hope all of us can get back to this and we will certainly honor God. It's easy to drift away from that kind of atmosphere if we're not careful Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 10, brethren. Hebrews chapter 10 here, and notice what God says here. This is Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading. uh, Oh, I seem to have lost my marker here. Hebrews 10, and let's begin reading in verse 23. Let us hold fast the convert, the uh, confession of our hope without wavering. Paul is saying, don't give up and quit. Hebrews 10:23. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
try to help each other, talk about the Bible, talk about prophecy, talk about how God is real and how he has blessed us. Mr. Pyle was reciting how God has given him all these extra months to live when he was supposed to be dead, according to what the doctor said. And I had my stroke, as most of you know, three years and two months ago, and uh, no, three years and about five weeks ago, and uh, that doesn't mean I would be dead, but many people get a stroke and they're in a wheelchair or die within a year or two, and now it's been over three years. So we both have a lot to be very thankful for. And all of you who are past 70, I won't ask for a show of hands to embarrass you women, especially don't like to admit their age. But uh, anyway, uh, as I've said, we're living on borrowed time. Our first college physician, Dr. Ralph Merrill, mentioned that term, and I'm sure he got it elsewhere. But when you're past 70, you're past the three score and 10. That's a normal average, and you're blessed. We're living on borrowed time. So stir up each other to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. God wants us to meet together. And I won't turn and read it, but go look it up. Leviticus chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 23, I'm sorry. Leviticus 23 verses 1 to 4. He talks about the Sabbaths of God, the feasts of God. And the first feast is the weekly Sabbath. And he calls it a what? A holy convocation. The Sabbath is a holy convocation, and a convocation is not a tea party where you send a respond, see vous play, you're sorry you can't come. You are commanded to come by your Creator unless you are genuinely sick or something as bad is happening or on a far trip or something. Even then you should go to the church if there is one nearby. You're told by God to come, and God tells us here in the New Testament not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Some just don't come to church every now and then. It's not convenient, so they don't come. That's wrong. That's a sin, brethren. Part of the Sabbath commandment is it is a holy convocation. Your Creator tells you to be here. I'm not your judge. I'm not going to assign our deacons to try to take a list and see who's not here and all that. Sometimes we try to generally know and have a card. I think Mr. Ames often sends out cards to people who are sick to tell them to come back. But the purpose is not to catch anyone and find out why you weren't there. That's not our purpose. But you're commanded to come, not forsaking the assembly together, but exhorting one another. Exhort. You don't want to do it in the wrong way, but exhorting is not just explaining. <clears throat> exhorting is you better oughta, you know, and uh, you better obey God. You better pray. You better study. That's what exhorting means. Exhorting one another, uh, as one another, as so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? Well, obviously the day of Christ's coming and the terrible trials we're going to enter. For if we sin willfully, sometimes we don't put all these verses together. But we should. Having taught the epistles of Paul class so many years, I've learned to do that. Paul had a reason to put this verse after this verse quite often. He's saying you better keep the Sabbath. You better worship together. For if we sin willfully, why? Because we haven't been coming to church. Because God's word is getting further and further away from our mind because we're drifting away. And after you keep drifting and drifting, pretty soon you go ahead and sin. Well, I don't care. You begin to have that attitude. 
I know we had one fellow in Ambassador College, and he's the only one in all my life I've ever been sure was going to enter the lake of fire. I won't mention his name, but Dr. Hay and I both felt that way. He got absolutely bitter, and he just didn't care. And maybe he just never was converted in the first place. That's the hope that I have. I don't know for sure, but he did seem to know the truth. He did seem to change, and then he just drifted away and been to be very jealous of others, not mainly me, but jealous of other men who came along with more ability and just got into an attitude of bitterness. And so he just said, I don't care. And he didn't. And just drifted completely away from God. But at any rate, if we sin willfully, when? After we have not just heard about, millions have heard about the truth, but after we have received, you've received the knowledge of the truth, you've, you've understood it. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So don't take it lightly, though, brethren. Please don't drift away from God for your good, not my good. Just don't do it. Don't let it happen to you. It's easy to just drift away and make some excuse. Well, somebody hurt my feelings or someone in the church said a bad example or, you know, Mr. Meredith's sermon was too strong or Mr. Pyle's sermonette was too strong or whoever said whatever. I'm just talking about those of us speaking today. Others make mistakes. Mr. Uh, a league doesn't make any mistakes. He just tells jokes, you see. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, uh, I'm picking on him now. But uh, anyway, I, I pick on everybody. They get used to it around me. I mean it lovingly. I usually pick on only the ones that I think I know that won't get their feelings hurt. I don't usually pick on the ladies. I'm not sure what might happen. I might get a, a, a rolling pin or something thrown at me. Anyway. We've got to be sure that we fear God and don't let ourselves drift away and, and really should have that attitude. I remember when I first learned about the Sabbath, I was happy in Ambassador College, but after a few weeks, I also had mixed feelings. I'd come from a Methodist background in Missouri, and I hadn't been able, I played football in high school and I won two Golden Gloves boxing championships, and I remember being a fan of Joe Lewis, and uh, I was so glad when he beat Mock Schmeling, and he was the German champion of the super race, and he beat Lewis at first, and uh, and then Lewis looked, and uh, Schmeling looked down on him and the Germans because he was a Negro, as they were called in those days, and they were not supposed to be good. He was a black man. Some of you older brethren know that, but the, I'm just explaining it for the younger people who don't know that. But he was a very good boxer and a very good person, too, so far as I've ever heard. Good, upstanding uh, person as a human being. But when he hit someone, these modern guys, uh, uh, a lot of them hit someone, and then they go on and on. When Joel Lewis hit someone, their whole body shook. They got a real hit, <laughs> and he could hit like a mule kicking, and mock smelling thought he was going to beat him again and they made fun of Joe Lewis this American Negro and so forth and tried to put him down and boy it got got under his skin and he began to knock smelling around in the first and second round like a ping pong ball I forgot what round it was but I think in the second or third round he knocked him clear out he knocked him all over the ring and uh, he was very very good but uh, he really was a powerful fighter but we need to realize that that uh, 
We must not get off into the things. I'm trying to find the connection. I'm off. Mr. Armstrong, <laughs> Mr. Armstrong did that sometimes, and he usually would find his way back. I was trying to find the connection. I got out Joel Lewis and Mark Smelly. Well, I'm sorry, brethren. I made my excuses at the beginning, and this is the truth. I feel very tired because I, I never got completely back to sleep last night after, after my tenth grandchild. When she gets older, I'm going to persecute her, say, you ruined my whole family. <laughs> oh, my. Well, anyway, we'll let Joe Lewis rest in peace. And, and Mock Schmeling will really rest in peace because Lewis beat the tar out of him and as a heavyweight champion he became. Uh, oh, I know what the tie-in was. When I came to look at my notes here, uh, when I first came to college, I liked to watch or to see the hear the boxing matches on radio. We didn't have TV. And there wasn't any top boxing in Joplin. So I thought, boy, I'm going out to Pasadena, you know, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And I'll go to the boxing matches and I'll go down the freeway and see the uh, Los Angeles uh, Rams uh, with Bob Waterfield, who married uh, this beautiful Hollywood movie star. I can't think of her name now, but she was very beautiful. And uh, our star, I'm going to see all these things. And suddenly I got out there and learned about the Sabbath. I, oh, my. I can't go to the boxing matches Friday night. I can't go to the football, uh, you know, the next day. And the Sabbath became the day I can't. So I had mixed feelings. I loved learning the truth, but still, I, it's a hard day. You can't go to movie. You can't go to the boxing matches and all that thing. Then that following summer, why, after my first year in college, I went back to Oregon. I'd been there two years earlier and worked in the woods, and I got uh, Ken Herman and uh, Owen Smith. Most of you never heard of him, but he, he dropped away. But he was a really nice fellow, kind of an Oklahoma philosopher fellow, and very friendly, but he just wasn't called, I guess. But the three of us went up to Oregon to work in the woods. And right away, the church is a family, and God says, if you give up father and mother and everything, he'll give you a hundredfold more. And I've seen that in my life, why Mr. and Mrs. Henyon uh, the original Mr. Henyon was a board member of the Radio Church of God. And we stayed in their very humble home. They took us in just like my grandparents, frankly, just treated us like I was their grandson and all of us and helped us get a temporary job and then later a job in the woods with their son-in-law. And so we'd go up. He was in the Sardis Church. So we'd go bumping up the road into the mountains on uh, Friday, on uh, Sunday morning. But on Friday afternoon, since they were at least Sabbath keepers, they'd come bouncing down in the Jeep they had or the truck, and uh, we would stay at the Henyons. And then I began to think about, wow, the Sabbath is wonderful, because Charles Duncan and uh, Zane Bidwell, that was their names, and they had lost thousands of dollars the previous winter in a logging venture over in Idaho, and they were trying to make it up this summer with these two young men from Ambassador College, <laughs> and they worked us to death, but they worked themselves to death. They were picking on us, but we worked about 12 hours a day, and I'm not exaggerating, just work and work and work, and by the time Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock, whatever it was, I thought, wow, the Sabbath is coming. It's almost like, you know, 10 million ice cream cones are about to come down in their house. The Sabbath is coming. Wonderful. We got to go down and we got to take a warm shower and sleep in a clean bed. 
all during the week we had to sleep in our bedrolls out under a tent or cleaned out chicken coop was where Owen and I slept most of the time and uh, or other places like that and we had one tub an old wash tub and uh, the one there's only one woman and her Charles Duncan's wife the uh, 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 well anyway so uh, she did the cooking she fixed us wonderful pancakes every day that was hot cakes uh, buckwheat cakes every morning wow and uh, wonderful eggs but uh, she was a stocky strong uh, young country woman and uh, but at any rate I guess she waited till she knew we were way off I don't know what she did she must have taken a bath in the tub too but we all took turns we'd put the tub out in the sunshine and it would warm up partially and then once or twice during the middle of the week we'd get in there and real quick try to get clean for this wash tub but uh, on sabbath night i didn't need to sunday night too but friday night i really luxuriated the Indians' home was not fancy but they did have a, it was a clean shower at least i know a wonderful shower and then saturday night whether i needed it or not i went and took another shower i thought i'm not gonna get really clean till, till next friday night so I just thought that, the, you know, the kingdom of God is coming, which it was, the Sabbath. God's Sabbath rest is coming, and we could be clean, we could rest, we could sleep in the next day, and, and I just look forward to the Sabbath from then on. The Sabbath is a wonderful thing to look forward to, and once you're really converted, and I say to you young people, many of you are not baptized, or some of you are very new in the truth, but if you learn to really love God and you really wish you had more time to study, which I do myself now because I, I, you think I have all the time in the world in a way I do, but I don't think anyone would fire me if I studied the Bible more, but I've got to do this, do this, do something else. And I was telling some of the people the other day how oppressed I felt because I've got to get the semi-annual letter finished and then get this sermon ready and then get the telecast ready for next week. And then the next morning, next Thursday morning, we take off for Baltimore and Washington to do the campaigns up there and then a whole bunch of other things in between. It just seems like it never ends. And uh, and it will end, as Mr. Uh Pyle explained maybe when we, when we rest, we'll really rest. <laughs> we hope that won't be until Christ returns. Once it all ends, we'll be buried in the ground or else we'll be spirit. But until then, he keeps us very, very busy, and that's good. But we do need to take time to study. And I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to have that time. And you young people or newer people in the church, please appreciate that. The Sabbath is a day, if you set aside, don't let all this stuff intrude. Brethren, a lot of you let TV intrude way too much. You, you watch TV on the Sabbath, you'll see some regular programs. My wife and I used to watch Glenn Beck and Brett Baer on Hot Box News, but we've cut way back on that ourselves the last few months. Because Glenn Beck has been kicked off and is not even on. But after a while, I remember telling Cheryl, I said, well, honey, who's he going to attack tonight? They deserve attacking now. He's after all these liberals and all that. But that's not necessary to watch that on the Sabbath. And the world news, it's all right to watch a little bit of news. But if you go on for an hour, that takes an hour of what? Of your Bible study time or other time that you could spend worthwhile. So you've got to think, how can I get use this holy time? Time. Hallowed be thy name. 
to God's name and hallowed be God's holy Sabbath day that has been set apart. Don't let television intrude. Don't let even radio or the wrong kind of music intrude. Don't let just people uh, intrude that just come take up your time and talk about nothing all the time which some people do. They have nothing to say, and that's what they say. And uh, so, you know what I mean? They're just talking about whatever it is, and it's not profitable, so you could be kind to them, but try to get yourself a part where you can think, where you can study this book and drink in of it and pray to God at, at length on your knees and meditate and learn to do that and drink in of God's Word on the Sabbath day. It becomes a very precious time so it's not the day you can't you can't go to the boxing match you can't go to the movie you can't go to the football game you can devote yourself to physically resting to quietly studying meditating about god take quiet walks out under the trees and think about his creation Look up at the stars at night and think about the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're his child. You're down here. He's up there. Talk to him quietly, even in prayer as you walk around. Worship the creator on his Sabbath day. It's a very special time. It can become a precious time. I mean that, a precious time, if you learn to use it that way. And you won't ever regret that. I've never regretted or looked back one time and say, oh, I'm sorry, I spent too much time studying the Bible or I spent too much time trying to worship God. I've never had a thought like that in my mind. I know I've told you the truth. I don't need to dwell on this, I guess. But anyway, get off on these sidelines. But I've never regretted one minute all the time I spent and didn't get any dates or any movies or anything on the baptizing tours I took in 51, 52, and 53. One whole summer with Raymond Minaire, the next summer with Burke Minaire, and half the next summer I took Herman Hay out. He'd not been on one. And just day after day, we were working, missing sleep, visiting people, talking to them. How many dates did we have all summer? Zero. How many movies did we see all summer long? Zero. How much time did we have just to kind of walk around and take it easy? Zero. We just kept moving. Well, I've never been sorry about that. I've never been sorry. I'm grateful God gave me that opportunity. And if you give your life to God and you're serving God and you see he'll bless you in that, you won't be sorry. You won't look back and say, I wish I'd spent more time watching movies or watching TV news and not reading the Bible as much. It'd be the other way around. I've always wished that I would not have wasted time other times in my life where I did not read the Bible as not as much as I should. I did not carefully meditate and think things through as much as I should. I did not spend as much time on my knees as I should. That's where our regrets will be if we really understand. So I hope we can all figure that out. In Isaiah 58, turn there with me. If you would, in Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 13, he's been talking about fasting, as you know, during most of this chapter. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Now, your pleasure in context of what the whole rest of the Bible explains is not talking to your wife about the weather, encouraging things or her life in a general way or anything normal talk. But where you're talking, get with your buddies and talk about your fishing trip or the latest movie or the ball game or talk about, you know, worldly things. Don't do that. 
and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor him, not doing your own ways. You're not supposed to be reading a novel. You're not supposed to be watching television shows and dramas and love triangles and stuff on the Sabbath day. Don't do that, nor speaking your own words, just rambling about nothing. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, which ultimately means eternal life. The whole earth is given to you, finally the whole universe. The mouth of the ever-living one has spoken. Don't let your Sabbath time be taken away for foolish things and your own ideas and your own talk, talking about your latest hunting trip or how many fish you caught or stuff. You can briefly just say something, but I mean, don't let that start dominating your conversation. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. I'm going to read what Mr. Pyle said, because again, brethren, God is the one who inspired Isaiah, and how did he inspire Isaiah? No chapters. You read these two, these verses about the Sabbath day, and the very next Sabbath, very next verse, I mean, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is it heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. And that ties in with the previous verses about worshiping God on the Sabbath day. He puts it right after that. So please don't let our observance, and you brethren over in Perth, Australia, and down in South Africa, and around the world, and Britain, and Canada, wherever you may be who see this later, don't let anything distract you from worshiping God on the Sabbath. We in this church will have more healings, and I do encourage all of you, as I encourage our men at the Council of Elders and so on, Let's pray more and cry out to God. Father in heaven, it may not yet be your will to give us the gifts of healings to just go up and down the hospital aisles and heal everybody in the world, but begin to heal more of your own people. Most of you know about these, but Mr. Howington is a very dedicated member down near Atlanta, and he's got cancer now spreading very dangerously. And Mrs. Jack Lowell, he was the, the, the coordinator of the feast in in uh, Panama City, very wonderful family. His wife has very serious cancer that may be fatal unless God intervenes and heals it. Mr. Pyle has this, unless God intervenes and heals it. And quite a number of other individuals have very serious things, even in God's church. The other one I wanted to mention, I don't think she'd mind of that, is Mrs. Uh, Paul Shumway. Gloria Shumway has cancer, uh, not cancer, but a tumor that's going right toward the stem of her brain and could obviously kill her unless God intervenes. And my daughter called me from England a couple of days ago about that. The Shumways didn't tell me, but they've been friends with them. And she told me how serious it is. Those are just four of the very serious things. We need God's healing even in the church. And let's ask God, brethren, all of us, Father, if there's anything, and I mean this, anything between us and you, if we're breaking the Sabbath, if we're fighting too much among ourselves, if we're stealing, many in the church don't pay their tithe, frankly, I know that, they're just not. And they're stealing from God. Whatever it is, let us repent let us learn the lesson. Let's go all out to honor our Creator, and then His face can shine upon this church a lot more. 
Your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. So let's not let that be our case in any time at all. Anyway, brethren, uh, I want to just read a couple more verses here. I think I have time. Turn back to Mark chapter 3 now in your New Testament. Mark chapter... Two, we talked about how Jesus made the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, Christ, who made it actually, is Lord of the Sabbath. Then what he goes on in chapter 3, as the book of Mark, again, wasn't divided by God, but men divided it into chapters. <clears throat> and he entered the synagogue, chapter 3, verse 1, on the Sabbath. And there was a man who had a withered hand and watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They were always trying to catch people, and that ought not be our motive. Our motive should be to encourage people, pray for them, and help teach them as best you can, as I'm trying to do now, not try to catch them at some mistake, but let's strengthen one another to keep the Sabbath, honor God in all these ways that they might accuse him. And then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Stand forward. And he said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So they kept silent. But when he looked around at them with anger, Christ even had anger at times, righteous indignation, wasn't personal hatred, but just upset at the hard-headedness and the total self-righteousness of these people Reeved by the hardness of their hearts, he said, stretch out your hand, and he did, and it restored whole. Yes, Christ then, of course, told them, I work and my father's work. I think Matthew's account of this is. Christ worked on the Sabbath by healing. He worked and his father worked. And that's one thing you can do on the Sabbath, brethren, besides studying and praying. Come to church and encourage others. And then if you have extra time and can still get in plenty of study and prayer, which you desperately need, but take some time if you can, if you have the opportunity, and most of us do, to make an encouraging phone call or two to people that may need encouragement to write a Sabbath note to those who are hurting, who are out or sick or something, or even some of you drop by and visit people on the Sabbath day. Maybe after church, rather than going out to dinner, go somewhere to visit someone in the hospital or someone that is ill and use the Sabbath to do that kind of thing, to help people, to encourage people, to build them up, to serve them on the Sabbath day. We ought to use the Sabbath to do good as Jesus did. And then let's turn to one of my favorite scriptures, and I normally don't close with this, but I'm going to this time because it's been branded on my brain now the last two or three years, and I just realized how important it is. We've grown up in a blinded age, a confused age, and if we don't really study this book profoundly, none of us will understand God's mind. None of us will know how to keep the Sabbath or anything else. So back in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 53... Why, the G- Jesus said to the Jews, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And of course that sounded like cannibalism when you think about it literally. To literally eat and drink of Jesus Christ. He meant that in a profound way or we would not have used those words. 
For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, notice, abides in me. If you abide in Christ, if you walk with Christ, talk with Christ, drink in of his word, pray to him all day long, have your hand in his hand, so to speak, nearly all the time in those attitudes, then you'll be walking with God like Abraham did. You will be walking with God that every action, every word you're trying to think of, how would Jesus, you know, not the uh, teenage thing, the bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus really do? And think of it from the point of the Bible, what he did do, and you've been to drink in of it, and you'll see that and understand it, and try to let Christ live his life in you. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And so the Sabbath is a magnificent time to drink into this book, to study it more than usual, to quietly peruse some Bible commentaries. But I'll tell you this as one who studied commentaries probably more than most of you by far, since I had to as a Bible teacher in Ambassador College, don't spend most of your time, whatever book it is, reading men's ideas about what the Bible said, including ours. Read the Bible directly. It's good to read ours if you think we are the church of God, because our articles and our correspondence course, the wonderful course Mr. Wynn wrote, they are sermons in print. But most of your time needs to be reading the original God himself, his, the words he spoke, and meditate about it, think about it, turn it over in your mind, pray about it then, on your knees, Father, help me understand, help me do, clean me up, scrub me out, fashion, mold me, and thank God and worship God on the Sabbath for giving you life, for giving you breath, for this beautiful world, to look at the beautiful things around you that he has made in this beautiful city with all the trees, the flowers, the gardens, everything we have here. We can thank God that he's given us this beauty, that he's made the earth and the universe, that he's made all of us, men and women, in his image to be like he is. He's fashioning and molding us. He's teaching us lessons for all eternity so we can be made like God, so we will think like God, act like God, speak like God, and ultimately be full sons of God, born of God in his family forever. Feed on this word. Feed on it. You don't get that strength any other way. And use the Sabbath for extra study extra meditation, extra prayer, and walking with God. Then you can rejoice in the Sabbath in a profound way, and you'll never be sorry that you did.